for today's edition of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. Uh, today I'm here with UFC fighter and multiple-time BJJ world champion Benil Dariush. Uh, Benil, thanks for joining us. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. It's uh, my pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, just a little bit of background. Benil, he has a 12-1 MMA record, 6-1 in UFC. He's coming off a recent victory over fifth-ranked Michael Johnson at UFC Nashville. Uh, multiple-time BJJ Nogi world champion. He fights out of King's MMA, trained with the Half Gracie team as well as the Gracie Baja team under Homoloba Hall. Very accomplished all at the age of 26. Um, Benil, you've been busy the past two years. You've had seven fights in roughly a two-year period. What's it like not having a fight scheduled right now, not being in training camp? Uh, yeah, I had seven fights actually in a year and a half, which was uh, which was which was a lot to be honest. Um, it's nice because I get to kind of focus on uh, healing up. I'm uh, I'm a little beat up from uh, all the fights, so just trying to get a little bit uh, healthy and then get back into the camp uh, or not camp, I should say, but get back to fight because it is it is hectic when I have fights, but at the same time, it's it's when I feel most comfortable. Mm -hmm. So is this um, time off by design um, to heal some injuries? Yeah, I have uh, I have like a slight meniscus tear where I need to do some physical therapy on it and uh, MCL sprain. Uh, they're nothing serious, but if I don't take care of them now, they could turn into something more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and right now you're by doing the physical therapy and resting, you're able to avoid any long-term surgery or any further damage. Yeah, I actually shouldn't need surgery. Uh, I just just need to make sure I get that physical therapy done well, so it strengthens the ligaments and muscles where I don't damage them again. Great. Um, are you training at this time, um, whether it's in jiu-jitsu or in striking at Kings, or just taking some time off? Yeah, I'm getting in about two practices a day, uh, Saturdays one, but uh, the intensity of the practice is a little different, I guess. During your downtime, is it uh, more just focused on acquiring new skills, fine-tuning stuff, or and how does that differ from a fight camp um, training during your downtime? A lot of it is uh, theoretical training, watching my fights, seeing where we can get better, what am I, what am I doing wrong, uh, uh, focusing on my foundation, like uh, building on the foundation, seeing where it's it's weak, and uh, just uh, improving basically. And uh, it, it's easier to work on your foundation when you don't have a fight. When you have a fight, you don't want to mess with it because it can. It could uh, it could ruin maybe your best weapon come, uh, coming into the fight. So right now is is uh, it's a very frustrating time because it, it's hard to relearn. Uh, the uh, the hardest thing to do for me has been to relearn things. So, uh, but at the same time, I'm I'm enjoying it because I'm getting better. And you've been known for, as a guy that. You trained not only at Kings, but with church boys. You'll go up to um, Northridge at times and train with multiple different jiu-jitsu teams at, at different academies. Um, how do you break up your days right now and schedule your workouts? Right now, um, I'm, I'm at Kings uh, Monday through Saturday uh, in the mornings. In the nighttime, I move around, uh, and then I have conditioning three times a week in the middle of that. So... We're looking at about either three or two practices a day. 
That's pretty impressive, despite ha uh, to be able to do that despite your injuries. Um, yeah, the what I had to do was really take it easy with the intensity of training. Before maybe every practice was maybe eight or nine as far as uh, intensity, but now I'm looking at five practices, six practices, uh, intensity-wise, like a five. Just focus more on technique and absorbing knowledge. Mm -hmm. And even though um, it's not the same level of intensity as your training camps, how do you maintain your body and take care of yourself? Uh, what's your diet like? Um, what are you doing during your downtime to make sure that your body is healing and that you're able to maintain that two workouts per day schedule? To be honest, I could probably eat much better. Uh, I'm still not so clean with my eating, but one of the things I've been doing a lot more is sleeping. I've been getting a lot more sleep in and uh, just I don't I don't do uh, uh, practices over hour and 15. I don't go over that line. Uh, hour, hour to 15 is the max for my practices. Mm -hmm. And Rafael Cordero, he comes to that shootbox school. He's kind of old school. Um, is there a lot, and I asked Orlando Sanchez this, is there a lot more um, new school thought in not overtraining in MMA and taking care of your body a little bit more, not having to go one three-hour workout that wears uh, down your body? I think so. I think he's the he's evolving with the game. Uh, Master Rafael isn't just uh, isn't just sticking to what he knows and and going by that. He's evolving with with the game. He we used to spar so much. We used to do ten uh, ten rounds. Now we don't do more than four or five rounds. We make sure nobody gets hurt. He, he, you know, we don't get the practices to be two hours. We we keep the practices under our, one hour. Well, we're 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 looking at a, a point of diminishing diminishing returns, and we're trying to stay away from that. And he's learning all the time, so that's that's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. And right now, you, while you're saying you're nursing an injury, if Joe Silva called and said, "Hey, there's a, a fight with another top ten um, person in the lightweight division that could put you in contention." Would you have to say no, or would you consider doing it if it's, say, you know, three to four weeks' notice? Because there's a lot of interesting fights coming up in the lightweight division, title eliminator fights. Uh, your your teammate, Rafael Dos Anjos, is fighting uh, Cowboys. A lot of, you know, with the injuries in the UFC, a lot of things could change. Um, yeah. Could you be enticed to stepping in on short notice despite everything you're going through right now? My injury is – is not so bad so maybe if they call me i would probably take it i, I don't know if i could say no we, we've had this issue a few times you know the reason why i've had seven fights is because i, I seem to have a hard time saying no um i, I don't know dude I, unless i'm in this situation i can tell you i couldn't honestly tell you so if they called me right now and they said hey you got to fight in a few weeks i don't know if i could say no or if i could say yes it, it just it just the only way to know if, if they call me. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes into my um, one of my follow-up questions is you've always you've taken um, a lot of short notice fights. Um, your first fight was it originally supposed to be against Jason High, then they switched it to Charlie Brenneman. You took that three, four weeks notice. Um, how do you are you always ready to fight and do you maintain um, 
you're even though you're working on technical aspects, do you feel like your cardio is always in a position where you could go three rounds? Yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the things. Uh, when they called me for the for the Jason I fight, and they, it was supposed to be at 170, uh, and then I got switched to Charlie Brenneman for 155. Back then, I was uh, I was a lot lighter, and to be honest with you, when I was back, uh, lighter back then, it, it was just it was easier to make weight. That that's one of the things that does affect your conditioning. As far as training, I'm always training, so I am always in shape. I there, rarely will you see me. You know, not in the gym uh, unless I'm, you know, some kind of crazy injury. I, I'll be in the gym. I don't. I don't really have much else to do in my life. I'm, I'm. I'm kind of a boring guy, so that that's one of the reasons why I'm always in the gym. And then, uh, yeah, staying in shape just comes with the fact that always in the gym. And right now, um, you also just want to transition, staying in line with that whole gym talk. Church Boys Wrestling. Um, how long have you trained there, and how do you find Church Boys? Uh, I've been. I started going to Church Boys. I think it was in 2010. And um, Jacob Harmon, he's he's very special when it comes to uh, motivation. He can motivate anybody, and, and I think that's one of the things that's uh, that a lot of these champions are are being drawn into because. Many uh, you meet a lot of good coaches, a lot of guys with a lot of skills, but you, uh, there are very few people out there who can motivate you the same way he motivates you. Mm -hmm. And how important, um, from based on your jujitsu background, in addition to your MMA fighting, how important is wrestling in jujitsu? And do, you, do we see Home Alone, Edwin Najmi going down, Church Boys, and Orlando Sanchez as well? Do you feel like pulling is soon going to um, take a step back even in lower weight classes and be replaced by more wrestling? And do you feel as a jiu-jitsu person going into MMA that you need to be more well-rounded than just jiu-jitsu? I don't think, uh, you know, people say you need to, every, uh, uh, the best base is jiu-jitsu or the best base is uh, wrestling. I don't think there is such a thing. I, I think it's your ability to absorb. Uh, absorb. You, I think the issue with MMA guys, for example, if you're a striker, you come into MMA and you're not really open-minded to the wrestling. You want to learn a couple of moves and uh, just enough to defend your, the takedown and, and that's it. You don't want to go further. And that's why a lot of guys will get stuck. Um, I think you need to take it to the next level, but more than just, uh, more than just learning a little bit, you, you need to get lost in it. You, you have to be passionate about it. So I think, it doesn't matter if you start out with jiu-jitsu or wrestling. I think as far as all the other aspects of MMA, you need to be passionate about all of them, and that's how you're going to be. I think that's how you're going to be well-rounded. Mm -hmm. And um, just also, do you feel like you still train in the gi at all for jiu-jitsu? Or does that really not translate well to your MMA training? I, I do train in the gi. Uh, it's just... Uh, I think it translates. I think uh, I was competing in no-gi tournaments uh, back when I was uh, doing jiu-jitsu. And to be honest with you, I would compete in all these no-gi tournaments. And I would train no-gi maybe once a week. I would just focus on uh, gi. And uh, it worked out fine for me. And because right now with no-gi worlds coming up again, um, 
you just notice at my school, I train under Sean Williams, that we're still primarily just doing one to two no-gi classes per week, and um, that includes an open math session, but we're still primarily training in a gi. Um, you, so you believe that you, even if you do compete in no-gi, that most of your training should still be in a gi? I think so. I, I, I did most of my uh, training in the gi, but at the same time, mm -hmm. I think it's also a cultural thing. Everybody just does the gi. I think if more people did no gi, it, it would be uh, more coaches uh, taught no gi classes. It would be more popular thing. You know, if you train six days a week in the gi, and then one of those days you're like, hey, come, come, come to no gi, you're, you're so set in your ways, you don't want to change. I think that's really the issue. Most guys get so used to the gi, they don't want to change to no gi. That was that was kind of an issue with me. Right now, I train much more nogi, so to be honest with you, I'm more comfortable nogi than I am in gi. I think finding a balance is really good. Marcelo Garcia, he's one of the best nogi competitors, and I, I believe he spent most of his uh, time training in the gi. Mm -hmm. um, just want to quickly transition a little bit. Um, you're, you've had a pretty successful run in UFC and. An MMA in general, with twelve and one record. Now you're seeing um, some of your peers from your jujitsu days, such as Gary Tonin, Crone Gracie, um, Gabby Garcia. They're all now taking a dive into MMA. Um, what piece of advice would you give to them about making the transition? Well, like I just said earlier, get passionate about all the aspects of MMA. Don't just don't be so focused on jiu-jitsu be able to get be able to dive into striking be able to dive into wrestling and just kind of get lost in it to understand it the more you understand it the further you're going to get in mma we we're never going to be champions if we just focus on one one aspect of it mm -hmm. and then, by the way gabby's actually training with us and she's she's improving really fast i think she's going to do really well this year how hard is it for her to find an opponent. Has she found an opponent yet for um, her fight in Japan on New Year's Eve? You know, the the, the Japan is the former Pride show, so that they have a lot of contacts, a lot of connections. I'm, I'm sure they can find somebody, and I think they have found someone. Uh, I think it's a girl from China, maybe, but I'm not, you don't quote me on that. I'm not 100% sure. What's impressed you most about training with Gabby? Her ability, to learn and listen, she doesn't. She doesn't have. She doesn't have an ego, and I think that's really helping her out. Mm -hmm. And also, um, just her strength and conditioning looks amazing to me. Um, you definitely see a transformation in her body as far as the body fat loss. Um, do you have you done any strength conditioning workouts with her? And what could you, could you say how um, fast she is, or how uh, get how um, strong she is compared to some of her male training partners? Physically, uh, I think she's the strongest female I've ever trained with. That, that's that's a given. And as far as uh, her uh, conditioning or uh, her workouts, she she was in Brazil and uh, doing these things. Now that she's here, she's actually looking for uh, new conditioning places. I believe she started with a uh, with our uh, with the conditioning coach of Rafael dos Anjos, the the UFC lightweight champ. She's going there. His name is Nick Carson. Uh, I haven't seen her in action, but it's it's obvious yeah, she's an absolute athlete. Mm -hmm. And you, um, 
like, as you stated, you're training at uh, King's MMA. She's also there in home to uh, two UFC champions for Rachel Verdun and Rafael Dos Anjos. When you decided to make the jump to MMA, what made you choose Kings? And did you try out several different gyms before uh, choosing Kings as your home? Um, so I was, I was, uh, I went to Kings, I believe in 2009 or 2010, actually. Yeah. I went there, uh, because my uh, my uh, my jiu-jitsu coach at the time, Bruno Paulista, uh, told me about it, uh, and I met Rafael Cordero one day at the Bigs in Cerrito, uh, Babu's Iron Gym. So what happened was I, I went there to train with uh, Bruno to help him out with one of the fights, and I met Rafael Cordero. And the way I met him was uh, was very typical for us. I basically got beat up by him. I showed up to um, Balu's gym, and uh, he was uh, he was sparring with all these big guys. He was sparring with uh, Fabricio Verdun, Balu, Bruno Paulista. Bruno was also at the time he was a uh, he was fighting light heavyweight, and I think it was Jason Mayhem Miller. Uh, he shows up, doesn't have a mouthpiece. He puts on gloves. He doesn't wrap his hands, and I'm just like, who is this guy? Uh, I'm, I'm like, this guy's going to get hurt today. And I didn't know who he was. And uh, I think it was like five minutes in, I start seeing, I think Fabricio Verdun like drop to the ground two times. And then after that, Babalu went down once, just sparring with him. And then I realized, oh man, I'm in trouble. Because I, <laughs> I was next up in the, on the list. So I, I sparred with him. I, I think he dropped me maybe four to five times in, in, in the short amount of time. And he wasn't even trying that hard. After that, I, I, I kind of thought to myself, man, this is the guy I want to learn striking from. And that, that's pretty much it. Have you seen a lot of your peers um, from jiu-jitsu that have made the jump to MMA? They've never really developed their hands or um, striking abilities. But yet, within the Kings MMA camp, you've seen Fabrizio Verdum evolve from being a jiu-jitsu world champion, having all right hands, having great hands, and especially from his last fight, two fights with Mark Hunt and Cain Velasquez. You've seen Rafael Dos Anjos evolve from primarily a guy with a jiu-jitsu background to being an amazing striker who, is, um, who outstruck Anthony Pettis, who some thought had the best striking in MMA. What is Fabrizio Verdum's secret to transforming guys with grappling backgrounds into great strikers? Um, I, I think you mean Master Rafael, right? Rafael. Oh, yeah. yeah. My apologies, Rafael. So, Master secret is that – I think one of the big uh, secrets is that he makes it fun. He, you, you get passionate about it. You, you start doing the striking and you start learning and, and you completely enjoy it. I, I think that's been the biggest thing. I, I enjoy it more than I, I could imagine. I enjoy it just as much as I – just uh, just as much as I enjoyed training jujitsu with Homolo, that's that's huge for me. Homolo is uh, is my hero when it comes to jujitsu. So being able to do that, I think that helped me out a lot. I I, I spent so much time I spent so much more time thinking about striking outside of my practice, and I spent so much time practicing it too. So I think that's been uh, the real secret. He makes all these guys passionate about striking. He puts a lot of effort into it, and and. He, he gives him love, basically. He, he, I think a lot of coaches are, are just coaches. He tries to be a father to us, too.
Mm -hmm. And what what is if you're to say what the big three biggest technical takeaways you've taken away from trading at Kings MMA in terms of striking, what are the th top three technical things you've learned there for as far as striking goes? That's, that's, that's complicated, I guess. Um, technical things. Um, uh, I, defense has been, uh, been huge for me. Uh, I used to, my striking, I, I had a decent offense, but I would always get hit after. It was me hitting them and then them hitting me. That was kind of what my striking was. So one of the biggest things has been defense. He's uh, he's focused a lot on my defense and just making me move my head, making me defend punches, making me stay I stay at a range where I can hit them while they can't hit me. That that that's been one of the things. And uh, and the the style at Kings MMA is is offense, so that just comes naturally. Uh, but uh, for me specifically, we we we've spent a lot of time on defense. Mm -hmm. And just going back to just transitioning for from jujitsu to MMA, um, when did you hire a manager, and how much did the ma your manager have us um, in guiding your career? Because um, I think you skipped the amateur fights altogether and went straight to the pros, right? Yeah, I, I, I never had any amateur fights, and uh, to be honest, I didn't really have a manager until um, until maybe six months before the UFC. Uh, Homolo introduced me to Ali Abdelaziz, who's my manager now. And uh, before that, I was just I would find fights myself, and I would just go and fight. My first fight, I, I the reason why I fought my first fight was my my former jiu-jitsu coach Bruno Paulista called me one day, and he was like, "Do you want to fight an MMA fight?" And I didn't want to sound scared. I didn't want to be the guy that says, "Oh." No, I'm good. I don't want to fight. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take the fight. No problem. And a month later, I, 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 I'm fighting a professional fight, which I didn't realize was professional. And during your, the early days um, as a pro, did you have a hard time finding fights? Because you do have that reputation as a multiple-time world jiu-jitsu champion in Nogi. Um, if certain uh, pro fighters only have one or two fights under their belts and they only trained in MMA for a short period of time, they may be reluctant to fight someone like you. Did you have that hard, tough time finding fights? Uh, so it was always like this. It wasn't that it was a tough time finding fights. It was finding certain fights. I was always looking for someone with a good record, with, uh, you know, uh, with good experience so I can get a good fight. And uh, I would we would get these fights. I would get a guy who's four and zero, or four and one, or you know, five and one, with a good record. And then come a few weeks in, he would he would bail on me, and then I I would have to find my opponent would, would be somebody who whose record wasn't wasn't so good. Maybe he, they had a losing record. And you know, I, I'm still grateful to these guys because they they took the fight, and they because of that, my career was able to move forward. But that was the diff most difficult thing: finding guys with good records to fight. Mm -hmm. And once you hired Ali um, as your manager, he's also manages, I believe, Henzo Gracie and Frankie Edgar and a few of the Ricardo Almeida guys. What was the biggest change uh, once you hired him in terms of networking and sponsorship? Um, 
I had networking and sponsorship. I think that that's basically that's the biggest thing. I didn't really have any sponsors back uh, back then. Once Ollie came around, I started getting sponsors for my fights, and and just he's been hooking me up with uh he he's he's gotten he has a great network. So yeah, and and through him, I, I have one too. Mm -hmm. And um, basically. When we've seen some again going back to the whole transition from BJJ MMA, we've seen different um, BJJ guys that go to MMA. They spread themselves too thin. I could we say Andre Galvao when he was fighting in Strike Force, he was running autos, he was training, he was still coaching a lot of classes. Um, what changes did you make since you've made to the UFC? Are you still coaching? Um, do you try to budget your time a lot better just to, to focus on workouts and recovery? Um, are you still doing seminars? When I when I first started in uh, when I first started making my move uh, to full time MMA, I was teaching a lot. I was teaching actually a lot all the way up to the uh, Carlos Diego fight. I, I was teaching full time. Uh, I, I think I had I shouldn't say full time. I guess I, I was teaching uh, I was teaching about ten classes a week, seven to ten classes a week. Mm -hmm. Um, once, once that fight went through and I, and I got to a point where I was, um, financially uh, able to just focus on training, uh, I just stayed focused on training. To be honest, it, it I do like teaching, but it, it, it's very difficult. It, it's, it's tiring. It's, uh, especially mentally it's draining. So after I teach a class, it's so hard to go train. It, it's something you have to build. So, um, I don't know how much Andre uh, Arlowski was doing, but I'm, I can tell you that it's not easy. Yeah, um, it was. Uh, hopefully, I didn't misspeak, but I was referring to Andre Galvao um, oh, because sorry. back in But what was the big change? Was it um, just a fight of the night bonus? Was it um, just better paychecks? Was it um, steady sponsor? income um that allowed you to find that financial freedom to just focus on training it was just because i fought a ton of times just so many fights back to back my uh i had so many paychecks that, that kind of saved me mm -hmm. and many fighters have um spoken out against the new ufc uh sponsorship has it impacted you in a negative or positive way um the the reebok deal the apparel deal the the reebok deal it's uh, I'm thinking of it as a long run deal. To be honest, my uh, before I would get sponsors, but they weren't really sponsoring me. They were sponsoring a certain segment on the UFC timeline of the fights. You know, uh, uh, uh Benil Darius is fighting at this time. Well, this time is worth this much money. We'll put we'll give him this much money. They weren't sponsoring me as an athlete. They were just uh, sponsoring the time I was in the UFC. At, at, at what point will I go on on the air? So. What I'm hoping for, eventually, I'll find sponsors that are looking to sponsor me for me and 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 you know pay me for 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 me and being able to use my image instead of instead of just the UFC's image because they weren't really paying me if, if you think about it. they were paying they weren't paying me for my image they were paying the UFC for their image uh, they were paying me for the UFC for their image because I had a I had a time slot in the UFC so uh, looking at it that way um, I'm okay with the Reebok deal I think it's fine with me. Uh, and I think it's going to grow. That, that's another thing. I, I'm looking to see where this deal will be in, in a year from now. And in part of sponsoring you for you, um, have you and your management team 
talked about how you can improve your PR. Any ideas on vlogs were, um, you know, appealing and being the Iranian the Iranian American champion were really broadening your reach to the uh, Middle Eastern community. Um, we, to be honest, I, I don't focus too much on the on that stuff, and which I should. I, I, I'm, you know, having so many fights back to back, I've been kind of busy. But that's something we, I've started doing more now. We're we're getting more into the public eye and and just kind of talking with everybody. Just one uh one of the worst things about me is I get so caught up in my training, I don't leave my house. I just I'm 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 at the gym. I'm at my house, and and now we're slowly starting to starting to move out I'm going to more functions and I'm going to more uh, like you said seminars these kinds of things and and I'm hoping from there I'll eventually something will happen but if it doesn't it doesn't I'm I'm, I'm doing okay uh, I'm happy that I'm you know I'm, I'm healthy and I mean because of that I'm healthy I'm able to provide mm -hmm. and you've competed against Gary Tonin before what do you assess um his MMA prospects as? Do you see him as a guy that could evolve into a striker or do you see him as a more submission specialist? Do you see him as well-rounded as you have become in MMA? I, he's new to uh, MMA so I think obviously he's going to be uh, uh, he's going to specialize in his bread and butter uh, jiu-jitsu. Only time will tell as far as if he's going to become more well-rounded. It depends where he's training and it depends how, how passionate he becomes about the other aspects of MMA. I think he can go really far just based on his skill set. You know, his leg locks are very good. His uh, general jiu-jitsu is very good. I, I think he's going to be fine, I, but I think if he wants to come you know, great in the sport. He's going to have to find uh, good striking coaches, good wrestling coaches, which he might already have. I, I I don't know, but that that's my assessment. Yeah, and he's with that Ricardo Almeida team, and they do have that guy Mark Henry who has worked with Frankie Edgar, um, Edson Barbosa, and Marlon Morris. So all all three are pretty good strikers, and he seems like a. Would you say that Gary from your competitions with him? feels like a very strong athlete, a guy that could grow into that from just an athletic standpoint. For sure. And, man, if he's working with Mark Henry, he's going to be fine. So I, I, the only advice I have for Gary is, uh, man, listen to everything Mark tells you. Because that look what he's made of Frankie Edgar. Frankie Edgar, is, it was a, uh, he was a wrestler. Now you, you don't know Frankie Edgar is a striker or a wrestler. If you watch Frankie fight, you wouldn't be able to tell. So – my only advice is to just listen to your coaches, and 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 I do think so. Gary, when I when I uh, grappled with him, he was very strong. He he was uh, strong and intelligent. It was just, it wasn't just uh, you know, he he didn't win by brute strength. He beat me very technically. Mm -hmm. You had a great uh, grappling match. Uh, where use of grappling in your uh, UFC fight against Jim Miller, who has a great who's been known as one of the best jiu-jitsu games in MMA. What really changed for you in your jiu-jitsu style for MMA versus first sub-only or IBJJF? Um, was it just top position or um, playing half guard more, butterfly guard? What were the biggest transitions you had to make in your training and also just application in the fights? Uh, one of the things is uh, be aware of uh, punches. That that that's been kind of huge. Another thing is um, 
with your guard, you have to play. Uh, you have to play a different guard. You can't play such an open game, which which I used to do. I used to play uh, open guard, and I was, I was very, uh, very, very fond of my open guard. But now I, I've changed to it, where I'm, I'm, I play a lot more half guard, close guard. Th those are really my two weapons when it comes to uh, uh, my back, uh, my uh, ground game off the back. I focus more on my half guard for sweeps and stuff, and and my close guard for submissions. And if if I'm in open guard position, I just try to get up. I don't really focus on anything else. And uh, with my top game, it, it's uh, it's become even more basic because it, when you first learn jujitsu, everybody tells you make sure you focus on position before your submissions. And, and it's the same thing for me right now. I I have to put extra time into into the positioning, making sure everything's right and then moving on to the next step. How much time and repetition did it take for you to adjust for strikes and also to start conditioning your mind to um, an open guard, just stand up and get away rather than try to uh, play a De La Hiva or a Margarita type open guard? So Go I, was, I was doing MMA uh, part-time for uh, even when I was uh, competing in Jiu-Jitsu, so that, that kind of helped out, but to be honest, uh, it took me a year before I got really comfortable with everything. Mm -hmm. And what did you attribute that to? Did, um, did you just was it more training at Kings? Was it uh, your tra MMA training partner telling you you can't get away with this in MMA, or you have to? Hafiel or Fabrizio Verdum saying you need to adjust to this, or you need to work on yeah. this. It was just more more. Uh, uh, trial by error. I, I train with these guys, and then they're they're punching me, and a lot of my techniques aren't working. A lot of the things that I love to do, I, I can't seem to do. So it, it was more of a trial by error kind of thing. I'm training with Fabrizio, we're doing every day, top Los Angeles every day, and every day I'm getting beat up because you know I'm choosing to play a fancy open guard, or I'm choosing to play uh, a loose top game, or I'm trying to do like fast passes and stuff like that instead of going to half guard. So. A lot of it had to do with just getting beat up and realizing it, it's not going to work. And how would you assess the level of um, jiu-jitsu or quality of jiu-jitsu in the UFC? Because overall, uh, some say it's not a, it's just okay, but in a lightweight division, you have a lot of black belt or high-level guys. Um, you have your teammate, Rafael Dos Anjos, who's a black belt. Um, then you also have guys like... Cowboy Cerrone, who may not have a formal belt ranking, but has submitted quite a few people. The, the level, I think, in MMA right now is it's not as high as, you know, because jiu-jitsu guys look at it and they say, ah, it's not, the, the level is not that high. But I think it's actually pretty decent because it, it takes a different style of jiu-jitsu, especially in the UFC, I think, for my division, I, I think it's, it's, uh, the level is, is really good. If you see guys, MMA guys, doing Brumbolo in, uh, you know, in training, you're, you're going to think to yourself, what, what is this guy doing? You know, he, this isn't going to work for his fight. So what happens is a, an MMA guy walks into a jiu-jitsu gym. He trains with jiu-jitsu guys. He, he does only the basics. And, and because of that, a lot of times you, you, get this, you get this idea that those guys aren't very good at jiu-jitsu. But if you were to do... MMA jiu-jitsu with these guys, you would see that they actually have uh, they have the right mindset. Mm -hmm. And 
Continuing down his path, we're seeing Ryan Hall. He's uh, caught two people. Have you been watching Tough lately? Yeah, I've seen this fight. I, to be honest, I, I watched just because everybody's been talking about him so much. Yeah, he's gotten two people with that Minari role to um, put lock heel hook set up. Um, will that work in the long term where if, if he's facing someone, say, from a camp like yours who has two to three months to prepare and could bring in a foot lock expert where has the B, uh, BJJ chops that you and some of your teammates have, is it easy to counter at that point, and will he need to rely on his strike game? And how far so, can him? It's, it's hard to tell because uh, he's so good at that position. He That's his bread and butter. So I think it's really hard to tell, but I think if you watch the fight so far, too, he was actually throwing some strikes in there. He mixed it up really well. He would throw some strikes, and the guy would be like, oh, what? This guy wants to strike, and then boom, he would go to the leg. So I think uh, his ability to change uh, change levels, change uh, from jiu-jitsu to striking, from striking to wrestling, to wrestling to jiu-jitsu, that, that's going to be key. His specialty will always be his leg locks, but... If, if, if someone is only thinking about defending a leg lock, it's going to be very hard for him to get it. But now, if, if he can bring in the other aspects and, and, and make you stop thinking about the leg locks, I think he's going to be very successful. And I already see him doing that, so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of it. Mm -hmm. in, um, in our school, and with the going back, uh, we had a bit of a change where we're focusing on footlocks more in our curriculum and you're seeing it more in events such as EBI, Polaris, um, and Morris where footlocks are kind of the in thing now. Has Have you guys at Kings where in your jiu-jitsu training focused more on footlocks and footlock defense? Um, I actually always focused on footlock and footlock defense. When I was in uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, ankle locks, straight ankle locks, a toehold seemed to be what everybody was going for on me because I, because of my style of guard. It was always open, and uh, so I, I have to be super safe, and that's why I always focus on the defense. Mm -hmm. What what I was what I should have done back there was though become more familiar on doing them, uh, which I've started doing now. But yeah, because of the because of this big uh, evolution of uh, foot locks and ankle locks. Uh, even King's MMA is a little bit more aware. Mm -hmm. And right now, um, while you're healing up, there's only, because we're about to wrap up, there's only two fighters in the lightweight division that currently don't have fights on the schedule. Um, of course, you've already said that you may fill in in case someone does go down, but the two fighters that don't have fight schedule are in the top ten are Edson Barbosa and Miles Jury. Um, if Joe Silva called you, would would you be interested in fighting either one? And does one interest you more than the other? Either one's fine. I, I'd be fine with fighting both of them. Uh, to be honest with you, they're both really good guys, and and the whole point is to test myself. Edson Barbosa is is one of the best strikers in the division, and Miles Jury is one of the most well-rounded guys in the division. So, I'd love to fight both of them. Mm -hmm. And I was doing some research on you last night to prepare for this podcast. In um, Gracie Magazine a few years ago, you said your motivation to move to MMA was financial in order to help support your family both here and in Iran. Um, is that still your primary motivation, or has it changed a little bit since you've gotten a few fights under your belt? Yeah. I shouldn't say, uh, I should, I shouldn't say it's my uh, primary motivation because – 
if it was to support my family, I, I would it would make much more sense to go get a regular job and work nine to five. But I loved MMA, and uh, and because I loved it so much, and it, it, it allowed me to provide for my family. So the primary motivation is, is just love for the sport, and uh, yeah. Another thing is, you know, I, I'm a Christian, so there's that too. I, I, I get a platform by doing MMA, and I, I think I can honor and glorify God. So that, that's always been the thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I uh, also read that you once said that you would be retired by the age of 25. You're 26 now. How have your retirement plans changed? <laughs> I was for jiu-jitsu. I would, uh, originally, I had plans to retire at 25 for jiu-jitsu. I, I retired earlier than I thought. I retired at 20, 22, 23, I think. I, I got my belt, black belt, and I retired. I was hoping to compete two years at the at the Mundials, just just because I, I thought it, I could win with, with two years and then move on to MMA. But but financial troubles came in, and, and I had to move to MMA a little sooner. We see Ben Henderson competing at ADCC and also doing some of the IBJJF tournaments. Do you have that itch at all to uh, maybe go back to IBJJF while you're still competing in MMA? I mean, I gotta give Ben Henderson a lot of credit because he's he's so he's so cool. He just jumps in and he competes at these tournaments. That that's huge. Right now, I don't train as much grappling as I should, so I never feel confident to do it. I, I'm I'm one of those guys where I'm like. I, if I want to do something, I have to do it. To I have to do it every day, and, and I got to be the best at it before before I jump in there. So, uh, you see Ben Henderson. He he just he walks in and he walks in confident, like he's going to win, and he just goes out there and competes. It, it's really cool. I, I think that shows he's uh that shows how much confidence he has. So maybe one day, but right now I I, I just don't see don't don't see myself confident enough. Mm -hmm. And. Basically, you're a smart guy. You have a loving family. Um, what do you see yourself doing after your MMA career is over? I think I'll, uh, I'll definitely have uh, established my own gym because, uh, like I said earlier, I do like teaching. So that that would definitely be one thing. But to look that far ahead, I don't know. I, I I'll just put it in God's hands and just uh, just move forward. Whatever I have to do, I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. Nice. Well. We're just about to wrap up. I noticed all the belts and medals in the background. Um, I think you got to build a shelf though for the UFC title. Yeah, maybe, uh, to be honest with you, this this wasn't my idea. One day I showed up, my mom had taken all the medals out of my drawer, and um, my uncle put them all on the wall. So and and I, they actually kind of scare me because they were right over my bed. I'm like, if an earthquake comes, I I could be killed by metals. That <laughs> that would be that would be a horrible way to go. Uh, it looks pretty tight. Um, but thank you very much, Benil. Best wishes um, to you, to your family, um, and to the whole Kings MMA team. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. And have a great day. Thanks, Jerry. Take care, bud. Take care. And.